So we, we need to make sure that to maintain a proper understanding of this as we go on, that we understand that we see this chapter as a continuation from what's previously happened. We can be certain of this due to the connection between the last verse of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10. It continues on. Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees and the Jews, which he was talking to in John chapter 9. It's a continuation. You know, we have these, these kind of numbers that separate them, but this is a continuation. So in, in dealing with this opened-mouthed question of the Pharisees regarding themselves being blind, Jesus answered them accordingly. He emphasizes the fact that they were absolutely adamant, absolutely adamant in their claim to be wise in knowledge and understanding. That they claimed to be able to see. That's what we that's how we left it, if you remember, that they were still in their sin because they said that they saw. They were blind to him though. They couldn't see who he was, who he is. And yet they believed that they themselves were in possession of the truth. That's how deceived they were. They believed that he was wrong. They believed that he was an imposter. They believed that he was a blasphemer. And they sincerely, in some senses, in their own misguided deception, believed that they possessed the truth. And because of the fact that they said, we see, and that they were not humble, Jesus states to them that due to that, due to that problem, they were still in their sin. Their sin remained. How men hate to be revealed to be wrong. All of us. We don't like to be wrong. Such is the deception that ensues from blindness. That in this, in this sheer pride, this error, and this blasphemy, it's defended, even in the very presence of truth. So they didn't want to be seen to be wrong. These were rulers. These were teachers of the nation of Israel, of the doctrines of the scriptures. They were disciples of Moses and sons of Abraham. They didn't want to be shown to be wrong. And so they rather keep on with the blasphemy, rather keep on with this pride and error, even in the very face of truth itself, which stood before them. Remember what Pilate said, what is truth? Even he couldn't see it when the truth was stood right in front of them. So in order to preserve this false dignity, to save face, we might say, such ones would rather hold to this blasphemy and this heresy than to be humble before this compassionate and loving saviour. One who is faithful to forgive all who truly come to him with a broken and a contrite heart. I hope you know that this morning. I hope you know that, that he is faithful to forgive everything to those that come to him with this broken and this contrite heart. To those, it says in Psalms, doesn't it? To him will I give regard. You come with a broken and a contrite spirit. He is faithful 
But pride and arrogance are killers. Pride and arrogance are killers. Think again of the account of the Pharisee and the publican. It's a great story. But we observe one who was self-righteous and in contrast with the one whose sin was made manifest, at least to him, whether it was publicly, doesn't say, but at least to him his sin was made manifest. Look at the difference between them. This publican, obviously, they were out in, in the open and they, he was praying out in the open. This publican didn't care what anyone thought of him. He knew that he was a sinner. He confessed it before God. I am a wicked sinner. I can't hide that fact. I can't hide it before you and probably I can't hide it before men. Men hate publicans, tax collectors. And I know what I am. He needed Christ and he was not afraid to ask for it. And as we see at the end, he received him and he was the one that went away justified. But the Pharisee, different story, different story altogether. He assumed by his standing in society, his heritage and his good works, that he wasn't like other men. He didn't feel any need to confess sin that he didn't even think that he had. Didn't even speak of sin, did he? Not his own. He had no, no cry in his soul that thirsted after God. He had his religion, but he didn't have that cry, that ache, that longing that it says in Psalm 42, about as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. He didn't have it. He had his religion. He stamped his life with the name of God. But he didn't need him. Why? Because he was already good, according to himself. He was already good. We also think of Peter. What happened to Peter when, when Jesus told him to cast his net on the other side after Jesus had spoken? But, uh, he used his boat, and in a sense, Jesus, Jesus gave him a gift. He said, look, you've let me use your boat. Now cast your net to the other side. Lord, we've, we've been toiling all night, we've caught nothing. Cast it to the other side, this carpenter says to a fisherman. And they bring in this great haul of fish at Jesus' word. What did Peter do? He fell at his feet, saying, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He knew what it was to be in the presence of holiness and godliness and truth. And all he could do was feel and know his own unworthiness and say, you, you've got to depart from me. I am a man who is sinful. Now we ourselves, we, we may not associate ourselves as being in the company of the Pharisees. So we ought to take care that we're not too quick to be like them. Maybe... There's more of the attitude of the Pharisees within us that we may care to admit. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you looked upon someone like this Pharisee and judged them according to your standard? 
and you've compared them with yourself. It happens. Have you ever judged someone because of how they look? Maybe how they dress. Maybe how they speak. Maybe because they're not from Yorkshire. Maybe because they're not in the same intellectual place as you are. Have you ever looked upon those whose life is a mess? Perhaps who are caught up in a particular sin or they live in a wicked lifestyle and said along with the Pharisees, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a sinner like that. Now, we ought to be thankful if we have not fell into such a lifestyle. We ought to be grateful. We ought to recognize, though, that had it not been for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ himself, that we may very well just be there. if not even in a worse position than that. We must be very careful not to weigh the sin of others against our own supposed goodness, as did this Pharisee who only boasted of the tithes he gave and the fastings that he was a part of. I thank you, Lord, that I give these things twice a week. Oh, good for you. Well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. This is easy to do. It's easy to be that way. It's easy that we can fall into this judgmental mindset. You see, we might think about these pubs up here. I walk past these quite regularly. We, you know, we, we might find ourselves walking past one of these pubs I have on a warm, sunny afternoon uh, on a Sunday. Walk past them on the way home. And we might say to ourselves, I'm, you know, I'm really, really glad that I'm not like these people who have wasted their Sunday afternoon sitting outside drinking and smoking. And I'm glad that I've been in church twice today and I've put my money in the offering basket rather than in their coffers. See, the issue isn't about it being wrong to be glad that you're no longer living such a life. We should be glad that we're not there. We should be glad that the money that I have isn't being wasted like that and it's been poured into something wonderful. But it's not about the fact of being wrong about thinking that, but why we think it. Why am I glad that I'm no longer like that? Do we think that going to church twice on the Lord's Day and putting our money in the offering makes us better? makes us more righteous than those who smoke and drink their Sunday afternoon away. That's what I'm asking. Do you think that being here right now on this Sunday morning makes you a better person than those people that are probably queuing up for a fight right now? Does me standing here make me a better person? than the one who gets his family ready and dressed to go somewhere like that on a Sunday morning. 
Because if this is what we do think, we're no better than a self-righteous Pharisee. If, or let me say, is our righteousness based on what we ourselves do? Or in what we believe about what Christ has done for us? You might say to yourself, yeah, I know this. Well, I hope you do. But the fact is we don't always live along the lines of the things that we know. They become what we know. And we can tick a box and we can talk and we say, yes, our righteousness is in Christ. And it is, absolutely it is. But, you know, do we live it all the time? I don't think we do, not all the time. You see, this is what I believe. The state of our mind and the cry of our heart should be when we see such people. Listen, Lord, if it had not been for you, had you not in your mercy and compassion opened my eyes to see what a sinful man I was and am, and what an unrighteous, godless life I was living, I too would no doubt be sat in the same seat along with these poor people. Lord, have mercy upon these here as you had mercy upon me. Take away their blindness and give them sight as you have so wonderfully given me. Do it for Christ's sake, I pray. How often, though, do I walk past such people and think that way? It's a re real challenge to those of us who call ourselves Christians and yet can be found so often with a judgmental attitude. So these Pharisees, they were blind, and willingly so. Jesus, in chapter 10, continues the discourse with them, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, <coughs> is a thief and a robber. See, Jesus is not a person to hold back the bleak, hard truth. He is kind, he's loving, he's meek, he's gentle, he is sweet, but he will not hold back from telling the truth. He is the truth. Can he tell any other? So he doesn't hold back from them. Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold in the right way, the correct way, who tries to enter in some other way than the door, is a thief and a robber. Jesus is referring to the Pharisees when he says this. Although it also applies to others as well. Now the sheepfold. The sheepfold was a stone-built enclosure within a field in which the sheep were gathered in at night in order to keep them safe from thieves and wolves. They were mostly uncovered as the weather at the time of the sheep were out in the fields was usually mild. The shepherds would therefore guard the sheep from any robbers trying to climb the walls into the fold to steal them. That's what he was there for to some degree, while shepherds watch their flocks by night. That's why he was watching. The application in this short parable is that the sheepfold represents the Jewish people and or the church of God. Jesus himself is the dog. 
God's people are often likened to a flock. We read this in examples such as Jeremiah 23, 1-4, which says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. But there's another parable which I want to just mention briefly, that bears significance with regards to the point made here by Jesus. So we look in Matthew 22, 11 to 13. This is the parable of the wedding feast. And this is where Jesus says this. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You remember the parable of the wedding feast? Those invited by the king to the wedding feast of his son made excuses not to attend. Some also treated these servants dreadfully, even killing some of them. These were judged and they were destroyed by the king's armies. The king then sent his servants to the highways, the byways, to find as many as they could invite to this feast. And so the wedding hall was filled. One guest stood out. This one stood out because he wore his own clothes to the wedding feast. In ancient times, kings often gave gifts to those that he favoured. <clears throat> such as royal robes bestowed on loyal subjects. Mordecai, anybody know who Mordecai is? Mordecai is, uh, I think he was Esther's uncle or relative at least. Well, he received fine linen, robes of blue and white and a crown of gold from King Ahasuerus for his help in uncovering the wickedness of Haman even a horse to ride through the city on which Haman wanted for himself. To refuse such a gift and honour from the king was an expression of the highest contempt. The man who attended the wedding feast in his own apparel represents all those who appear before God in their own righteousness. Robes of righteousness are not only needed, but are provided by King Jesus himself. Let me quote Albert Barnes regarding this. It was, of course, expected that such garments would be worn when they came into the presence of their benefactor. The garments worn on festival occasions were chiefly long white robes, and it was the custom of the person who made the feast to prepare such robes to be worn by his guests. This renders the conduct of this man more inexcusable. He came in, his common and ordinary dress as he was taken from the highway. And though he had not a garment of his own suitable for the occasion, 
yet one had been provided for him, if he had applied for it. His not doing it was expressive of the highest disrespect for the king. This beautifully represents the conduct of the hypocrite in the church. A garment of salvation might be his, performed by the hands of the Saviour and dyed in his blood. But the hypocrite chooses the filthy rags of his own righteousness and thus offers the highest contempt for that provided in the gospel. He is to blame, not for being invited, not for coming if he would come, for he is freely invited, but for offering the highest contempt to the king of Zion in presenting himself with all his filth and rags, in refusing to be saved in the way provided in the gospel. Isn't it amazing from one little piece of scripture in a story that that's where you get to? You see it when you hear it opened up because initially you might read it and think well why why did he chuck him out just because he had his own clothes on well you see why you see what it represents that he went and he said look in my own righteousness i'm enough i come and i enter into uh, i'll leave the clothes that you gave for me they're nicely spread out on the bedstead but i'm coming in my own clothes that's the problem that's the problem with the pharisees there is no other way into sheepfold into the wedding feast of the lamb into heaven into the presence of god but by the door through christ and dressed in his robes of righteousness there's no other way this is the prescribed way the right way so here at the beginning of this chapter jesus tells these blind pharisees that they're doing just that very thing they refuse to believe in him. Stood before truth. They refuse to humble themselves. They proudly wear and show off their own robes of self-righteousness. And like the man in the parable, assume their own works will be weighed and measured and be found acceptable for entry. And yet, in doing so, just as that man, they treat the robes bought, paid for, and freely given by the King of Kings as common. That's what we do. That's what any one of us does when we try to go before God in our own righteousness to say we're good enough. What you're saying is, my clothes are better than the ones that you provide. Which is blasphemous. <clears throat> We measure our own filthy rags as superior to his. See, these Pharisees, they try to climb up some other way into the household of God like thieves and robbers through an open window. But as they will find out, as they have already found out, they realize that there's no crack no crevice by which they may squeeze in because there's only one way there's only one door the door is the only entry and to those who have no oil in their lamps what happens to the door it's locked it's tragic isn't it because once that door is finally shut it will not reopen and those outside will be in darkness and it's as it says where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So this is a warning from Jesus. And it's not only to the self-righteous Pharisees, but it applies to all who try to get into the household of God by some other way. You see, the day we live in, in fact, it's not really any different. There's nothing new under the sun. But we only speak for the day we live in because we're here. We know about things that happened in the past. We've got the scriptures and it's the same. The details may be different. The principle isn't. It's the same. There's a major attack upon truth. There are so many people who somehow convince themselves that any form of belief they choose is right for them. An individual's personal truth is applauded. One person's truth is different to the next. But even if we use like our basic intellect, we can see how this is completely illogical. It doesn't make any sense. If everyone has their own truth, then it voids truth completely. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Truth is truth. If my truth is that the sky is blue and your truth is that the sky is green, well, they both can't be true. And so, therefore, truth is done away with. Both cannot be true. I assume you've heard of a woman called Oprah Winfrey. She is a popular American chat show host. She believes that Jesus is a way to God. But not the only way. According to her, all roads lead to God. And she considers herself to be a believer, as far as I know. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is their saviour, that he is the agent of God through whom mankind can be reconciled to God. But they do not believe in the Trinity. That Jesus is fully man, and fully God. And that the Holy Spirit is a force rather than a person. Jehovah's Witnesses place more emphasis on God than they do of Christ. I, would, uh, I could list many summaries of many religions and cults, but I think you get the point that I'm trying to make. There are examples of exactly what Jesus was referring to. They try some other way. In some senses, we may call them modern ideas. That this principle, as I've said, has been from the beginning, Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? They tried some other way. Some <coughs> other way. These that we've read are those other ways. The trying to climb up over the wall into the knowledge of God and some invented utopia or heaven. All are warned. But Jesus, let me say this, we're all warned. All of us are warned about this. That there is only one way and we do not climb. And if we climb up some other way, we're thieves and robbers. But Jesus, as he speaks this, he is particularly pointing to the Pharisees. When he speaks about climbing up some other way and then being thieves and robbers. See, these men had set themselves up as rulers they were the guides, the shepherds, the pastors of the flock of Israel. They had not been sent by God, nor did they have his authority. They were like the false prophets God spoke of to Jeremiah, who was one of the true prophets. 
says this, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. And again he says, For I have not sent them, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I may drive you out, that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. I assume, maybe rightly or wrongly, that you've read Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 contains the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. I would commend you to read that whole chapter with regards to this, but a few verses here will, will do for us. Matthew 23, 1-8 says this, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seats. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move with them one of their fingers. But all the works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the, the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You see, these men were the thieves and the robbers that Jesus was talking about, that they stole an office not given to them. They took authority from God to themselves, which they were not appointed to have. They rejected and persecuted the Christ, the Son of God, the God they professed to serve. And thus they robbed him of his power and his authority. <clears throat> They preached heavy burdens, invented their own traditions to enslave the people under their rule. Traditions of men not commanded by God. They preached another gospel that was not a gospel. And they openly robbed people, devouring the houses of widows. <coughs> not only did they try to climb into the household of God some other way, but they taught others to do so as well. There was a door into the sheepfold, a door that was open to them, but they wouldn't enter by it. They refused the good and the proper way in. That was the problem. They were thieves, they were robbers, and Jesus told them so. Finally, let us bring it to our time. A warning for us all is this We must be very careful Who we listen to We'll be very careful Who we listen to We might not have Scribes and Pharisees Amongst us in the same manner As we read in our text But there are still those like them Who take an office Not given by God Men and sadly disobedient women Who set themselves over vulnerable sheep of the flock. Pastors who are not pastors. Barnes says again, Jesus here designates those pastors or ministers of religion 
who are influenced not by love to him, but who seek the office from ambition or the love of power or wealth or ease, who come not to promote the welfare of the church, but to promote their own interests. Alas, in all churches there have been many, many for whom no better ends have been sought, the pastoral office. To all such Jesus gives the names of thieves and robbers. There are many, even amongst us in these days, thieves and robbers who come and they teach another way. And many people have been deceived by them and continue to be deceived by them. <clears throat> to serve the Lord in the office of a pastor is a privilege and an honour. No under-shepherd to the chief shepherd, though, is immune to mistakes. He is a man, a sinner saved by grace, who is in great need of the help of his Saviour daily. He cannot and will not be perfect this side of eternity. He may not always meet every expectation of every person. He needs the prayers of the congregation he serves. He will get things wrong as well as right. There may be points of disagreement between you, but the questions you must ask is this, does he love God? Does he love God? Does he love you? Does he love you? Does he preach Christ and him crucified as the only saviour of sinners? Does he serve the congregation to the best of his ability? Does he pray for you? Does the truth contained in the word of God come first? Is his heart for the glory of Christ and the building up of his church? Is your spiritual and physical welfare his concern? <coughs> Does he desire your growth in the things of God? Does he encourage you to love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart and all of your soul? All imperfectly, of course. If he does, love him, heed him. But if he does none of these things, run, because he too is a thief and a robber. These are the things that we see as we begin to look into this chapter. That there's a purpose for why he said these things. It's a warning to them, primarily in that sense, there for them to be thieves and robbers. But we must take these things into our own day and see that we must be warned. Firstly, that we don't be like them. That we don't try and climb up some other way and get into the kingdom by our own good works. Entering into that great wedding feast in our own clothes. But that we trust and accept and receive the robes that he gives us. The robes of righteousness that only Christ can give. But that we be very careful. Who we listen to in this generation that we live that you take wise counsel from those among you who are wise and to accept what they say to you when they care for your souls. Now, I'm not saying that you don't check out what they're saying, but they're there for your soul, they're there for your heart, they're there for your life. 
to guide, to lead, to help, to counsel. But if they're not, by God's grace, if you look and you find, if listen, if I am ever in a place where I start to teach anything heretical, then leave. If I don't listen, leave. God willing, I won't fall into that by God's grace. But it's your responsibility to watch as much as it is mine to make sure that I'm teaching the right things. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these just these first couple of verses that we've read in this amazing chapter of your gospel written by your servant John, given to him by the leading and guiding of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the truth that's in it. We thank you, Lord God, that we're shown things here by these, these religious Pharisees and scribes who thought they had the truth, who thought they knew it, who were, who were going to go to their, their fathers, their forefathers when they died into this, this heaven. And yet, Lord, they refused to, re to receive you and that they were trying to enter by climbing up the wall, being a thief and a robber with their own clothes. Lord God, help us, we pray, never to find ourselves trying to enter on our own righteousness. May it be that we recognize that we can only get through that one door, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, cause us never to be those judgmental people, but Lord, give us a heart for those amongst us or around us that we see, those that are in, maybe in a position that we would find very horrible. Lord, help us to pray for them, to speak to them of the things of God rather than to, to look at the down-nosed. We're all prone, oh God, to these things. Forgive us and help us. Lord, we commit our way to you. We commit our lives to you. Commit our futures to you. Commit our children to you, our grandchildren, our, our families to you. And Lord, we ask, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit upon the word of God, save. Save sinners. And Lord, as Frank said earlier, use us in whatever way you would have us used in these things, we pray. Lord, we ask for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.